new new regulations coming out and, and vaccines are not affected by this regulation you know less yelling and screaming at each other when you're working cattle <laughs> just thinking too about how they handle livestock the stress you know, Brittany's out on the farm working directly with those producers um, welcome to the MFA made for agriculture podcast here are your hosts Adam Jones and Cameron Horine all right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones, and today we have a couple of really good guests with us. We're going to we're gonna dive off into some of the animal health world and, and the livestock world and uh, discuss some new, new regulations coming out and, um, and some upcoming changes to kind of to the way uh, I'd, I'd say that producers really view business as usual. Um, so I, I feel like I've got the right guests in the room. Uh, which is not me, obviously, uh, but uh, with us today, um, we've got Dr. Tony Martin. Um, and uh, Doc, you want to go ahead and just kind of give us a, a little background on it? You've been on the podcast before, but but for folks that may be listening today that, that didn't catch that previous episode, um, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your role at MFA. Sure. Uh, Adam, I'm glad to be here again today. I, uh, Dr. Tony Martin, again, I am uh, the staff veterinarian for MFA, which uh, and also manage the animal health department. So as staff veterinarian, my basic role is to be a, a resource person primarily for our, our, our employee network, our dealers, our key account managers, and our specialists in, in their work with our customers. And in addition to be a, a resource and information source for our, our livestock producing customers. And on the animal health side, uh, the crew that I work with, uh, Ruthie and Emily at the office are, are charged with trying to uh, provide the animal health products that our dealers carry at their locations. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for uh, unbelievably about 35 years now with MFA. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's been a good run and we I enjoy working with the producers and the dealers and uh, we continue to work hard to try and make them as, a, as profitable and be a benefit to them as we can. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Awesome. So the other guest we have with us is um, sort of at the other other end of, of MFA as far as as far as that goes. I'll go into that in just a second. Um, but we've got Brittany Kelsey uh, in here with us. Um, Brittany is a, a livestock key account manager uh, for Northeast Missouri. Um, so Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Give us a little little background, uh, a little biography, and kind of tell us what your role in MFA is. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Brittany Kelsey. Um, I'm the Livestock Key Account Manager for um, District 3, which is the northeast corner of the state of Missouri. Um, take care of um, feed, animal health sales, um, pasture fertilizer sales for the, the stores and take care of our key accounts um, in that area. Um, a little background history on me. Um, grew up on a cow-calf operation in central Missouri, and my husband and I have a commercial cow-calf operation um, right now, where we we raise our kids on the farm and stay very busy doing doing lots of things, but I've worked for MFA for a little over ten years now and enjoy every day of helping our producers to to better themselves, however we can. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Brittany. I I think um, just just for folks listening's benefit. I I feel like this is you guys provide kind of a good gamut of. You know, Brittany's out on the farm working directly with those producers, um, putting plans together, kind of working through kind of the day to day aspects. Um, whereas Dr. Martin is a, is a great representation of, of kind of the support staff and the support system that we have um, at MFA, that the ability for for our folks to go out there um, informed to the max, if you will, on uh, on what's going on in the in kind of the marketplace. 
um, what's going on in the outside world and, and how that affects, you know, from an animal health perspective in this case, I guess, um, how that affects daily business right back at the farm. So, um, so like I said, appreciate both of you kind of being here today. So I feel like kind of maybe the, the prerequisite to this was, was some of the VFD stuff that went down. Um, I don't know, gosh, that was 2017, right. You know, so that's six years ago at, at this point. Um, but it, to just to back up that far, I guess, um, Dr. Martin, uh, how how did we kind of get from there to here or, or kind of what what transpired in between there? Or, or was this something that was maybe uh, passed by the FDA or kind of a rule by the FDA a long time ago? Or did this kind of come about fairly recently here? That's a that's a set of good questions right there. And you can almost put all the above in there. The start of this whole thing actually went way prior to 2017 when the veterinary feed directive came into play. But I can tell you, as we dealt with that particular regulation, which affected the accessibility to feed additive medications and took all water-soluble medications of these particular medically important antibiotics, took them to script only. Um, When that went into effect in 2017, what we're dealing with now, this current regulation that will go into effect this coming Sunday, June the 11th, it actually, if you think, looked at it close, it was in the fine print. And it was in the thought process of, of the entire regulatory activity that got us that 2017 VFD regulation. They basically, uh, the FDA, uh, through pressure from other sources, and they made the decision that they wanted to bring uh, the use of antibiotics in livestock under greater veterinary supervision. And that's what drove the whole thing. Um, I kind of probably naively thought when we we instituted the VFD regulation that maybe we could we could prove to them how judiciously that we use antibiotics in livestock production and and maybe they would leave uh, the injectable products some of the other other forms of these antibiotics alone and let us continue to have over the counter access to them but uh, that didn't prove out it was pretty naive to think that way probably but this latest regulation is just an extension of what we dealt with that went into effect in January of 2017 right yeah that, that's kind of how it felt from the outside so, so you led into it just a little bit, but you mentioned June the 11th. So, so kind of back up and tell us exactly kind of what goes down on that date and and how that changes um, the way we do business, I guess, at MFA. Yeah. Well, as of June 11th, uh, the remaining forms of these quote unquote medically important antibiotics, which in our world is uh, the biggest representatives of that would be penicillin products, the tetracycline products, but it also includes uh, the various forms of the sulfa medication, which would be sulfathiazole, sulfamethazine, sulfadimethoxine. Uh, it includes uh, our the intramammary uh, mastitis tubes we use in, in, in dairy farms, both uh, lactating and dry cow therapies. But any forms of those quote-unquote medically important antibiotics uh, that uh, still exist over the counter are now going script only as of June 11th, which means that... Uh, uh, you will have to go to a veterinarian to get a prescription, either buy them from the veterinarian, or if the veterinarian will write a prescription for those items, you can go to some place that can still legally sell prescription items to you and, and fill that prescription, just similar to what you do with the, the same script that your, your medical doctor would write for you all. Um, it's going to take all, all remaining forms of those products uh, to the script only, which means our injectable products, any of the bolus or pill form of it, uh, the intramammary tubes, um, even the last remaining liquid we had, the Spectagard, which is spectinomycin, is going script only. So it's going to take all those forms to prescription only. And in MFA's world, that means there are some 52 products, I think, if I looked at the last list, that it takes uh, to that script status that uh, our stores will 
will no longer be able to to buy an inventory once those products come out with their prescription label on it. And that leads me down one little path that uh, we'll work through, and that's the fact that there's still a lot of over-the-counter labeled product that uh, exists within distribution channels. And the FDA has has agreed that we're going to be allowed to continue to sell those over-the-counter labeled products uh, until our inventory is exhausted or until those products expire, we can no longer sell them. But as then it's replaced with a new product that, that has a label on it that says prescription only. Uh, and once they've changed that label, we can no longer carry them after that. Right. Um, it's It might be worth mentioning that because I've had the question, one of the questions I get asked is, well, <clears throat> isn't there a way for MFA to sell prescription products? And and we could, but it requires <clears throat> each location that one would want to sell prescription products would have to have a, a, a veterinary license or a veterinary permit from the Missouri Board of Pharmacy. Uh, and would have to contract with or hire a licensed pharmacist to manage that for them. And the simple expense of that uh, and the details of the regulatory activity and inspection are are just not uh, economically viable for us to continue down that way. So these products, they'll have to go to a veterinarian to get a script for it and and then acquire it through other channels once all of the -the over-the-counter product is sold and gone. Is, yeah, sort of used up, right? Yeah, from the outside looking in, that's you're you're exactly right. It it seems like well, it's like well, I should be able to just go get a script from my vet and then go right back to where I've been buying it from. But uh, from a regulatory aspect, it's it's not always that that simple from no. the inside looking out. That's exactly right. So, Brittany, tell me from the producer standpoint, um, kind of. I know this is a little bit of an extra step, or may, maybe in some opinions, an extra roadblock. I guess to 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 being able to you know provide some medication to your herd. Um, how's this affect kind of the, the, the day to day, if you will, uh, in, in most operations? Sure. I think, um, in some cases, some producers are, you know, somewhat worried about it. Other ones that have good relationships, um, with their veterinarian, um, maybe not, not as concerning for them. Um, which would be, you know, one of the reasons why we would stress having a good relationship, um, with your veterinarian so that if the need arises that you can acquire these products, um, easily, Um, But it also has producers thinking of other ways that they can support their herd health um, through nutrition or or however it be, um, just in other ways so that we're not, you know, maybe getting rid of the need um, for some of these antibiotics that maybe we've used in the past that we can get around um, using other products to to maintain herd health. Um, But but again, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely producers feel like... um, just something else for the government to regulate me on and, and cause me more issue. Um, sure. Well, just the logistics of the the supply chain, right? It's not as easy as running into town and grabbing it from somewhere that you're used to sure. grabbing it from, right? Yep. I mean, these, these rural veterinarians are spread out all over a lot of times multiple counties and multiple like regions of the state, if you will, 100%. And trying to catch up with someone and, and get a script and get product and, and all that stuff. Um, can mean literally hundreds of miles in between at times um, yes. for for like where cattle are produced, right? It's not right. it's not a, it's not as easy as going to the Target pharmacy versus the Walmart pharmacy, you know. Yeah. So. Yep, for sure, and I think it'll make guys, you know, I mean, there's always problems that arise, but maybe um, be prepared more um, and have a plan for you know weaning time or whatever, making sure those calves have the proper vaccinations and are at a lower risk for needing an antibiotic if that's the case. Sure. Sure. So, um, 
And I'm going to turn it back to you, Dog Martin. I, she mentioned uh, some other things that you could possibly do um, sort of from a preventative or, or kind of thinking and planning ahead. Um, from a product scenario, what, is, what does some of that look like, um, I guess, for, for us at MFA? Yeah, that, that's a good point to emphasize is that, you know, really the antibiotics we're talking about are for treatment of bacterial infections or diseases. And there are an awful lot of things that go into helping whatever livestock you're raising stay healthy enough to where they on their own with their natural immune system can prevent the diseases from occurring. Um, in livestock production, no matter how you produce, uh, you're always going to have some sick ones. So there will be some need for antibiotics, but there are things we can do to maybe lessen lessen the opportunity for diseases to occur that would even require treatment. Vaccines is one of them. Uh, so a proper vaccination protocol set up for whatever operation you have is important. And vaccines are not affected by this regulation. Parasite control, both internal and external. So our dewormers and our external parasite control products, they're not affected by this regulation, but controlling those. Um, making sure, as, as Brittany mentioned, that, that your nutrition program is right and you're truly meeting the nutritional needs, which means a complete nutrition program. It's not simply, I'm going to put out a grain product or or I'm going to supplement with just one thing. We've got to have meet all the needs of, of energy and protein and vitamins, minerals, and trace minerals uh, in the proper proportions for each stage of production uh, and to help an animal ward off uh, the, the stresses that uh, would help lead to disease. When you talk about stresses, it also we need to get our producers thinking too about how they handle livestock, the stresses we put on them, and how we how we process them through working facilities. Um, there can be some things there can that can open the door for disease. Anything that suppresses an animal's immune system can can offer an opportunity for them to get sick from. Yeah, you might go around. if you don't mind. Uh, this I don't think this is too much of a, a sidecar here, but you might kind of go into some of what we've learned about that. You know, in in recent, uh, this is something that I guess we historically did not talk about probably enough. Um, kind of just the, the some of the low stress handling and and how that affects kind of just the overall. Uh, immune system. And I, I know that's a, a probably an entirely different topic, uh, but I think it applies here a little bit just in, in, in some of the way that we look at things now versus kind of what we looked at it. And I guess just kind of some easy, maybe uh, low hanging fruit of uh, how we can change the way we handle those livestock on the farm. Well, sure. Uh, that's a very valid area to get into. And it, you're right. It could be a subject potentially all by itself, but I compare it over my 40 years of 40 plus years in veterinary medicine, my years in private practice, how we used to process cattle where um, our goal was to process them fast. Um, a result, which created a, a lot of noise, a lot of use of, of hot shots, electric prods, if you would, and, uh, and, and hustling. But all that stress we found out over the years as we've learned the physiology of the animals better, uh, it releases cortisol out of the brain, which just interferes with the immune response. So you get to thinking about it, uh, if you're going to work them with a lot of noise, uh, with a lot of pressure on them, uh, create stress on them, at the same time you're putting vaccines into them, how much detriment are you providing uh, to the performance of that vaccine? So we've learned that uh, uh, moving quietly, setting up a working system uh, in a way that, that works the animals efficiently, effectively, quietly, and smoothly, learning what the the, the movement patterns of animals are and how you can work them on foot and with at the most maybe a, a flag or a rattle paddle, but uh, using the, and trying to move them as calmly as possible uh, creates a lot less stress and ends up uh, making things a whole lot easier on everybody. Maybe uh, 
even easier on family members that have tried to work cattle together. That'll make us all chuckle, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Because one of the things you can test your family relationships in the past has been how well you can work livestock together. But uh, no, figuring out how to to look at low-stress handling uh, and and implement some of those things is is an important aspect of of minimizing stressors and and maybe getting us to a point where we've got less disease that, that, that will come through. Yeah, yeah. Brittany, how have you t- kind of taken, or how have you seen uh, folks kind of easily take some of the some of those things um, from from the handling aspect and and kind of apply them to the farm to kind of mitigate um, some of the well some of the need for medication, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I think um, you know producers are always, especially now, looking for ways to be more more efficient and make it easier. Um, you know, less yelling and screaming at each other when you're working cattle. <laughs> so it's always possible. Yeah. I mean, if they can make small improvements to their operation that, um, you know, minimize the stress and, and ease up, um, working the working facilities, I, I think it's just a, a domino effect and everything else just falls in line, um, with that, including the health of your animals, just in how they respond to everything. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, sorry, I, I got you way off topic there, um, but I thought that was uh, something I have found interesting. I feel like things that just a, a change in the way we think about things over not not all that long ago, honestly, in, in recent decades here. Um, so so I definitely think it applies to, you know, mitigation of some of that animal health or herd health. Um, but, you know, we were kind of talking towards uh, some other products that or, or things that we could use kind of either in the, in the animal's diet or, or, or other things that, that could help also down that same road, uh, mitigate some of that, some of that animal health. Right. Right. All those things are important. And in the diet, I mean, nutrition, we've always known that nutrition is important. It's important for every living being, but part of the reason that we emphasize it even more is as we learn about the immune system, which is what helps prevent disease and fight things off, when you really get to looking at it, uh, 70, over 70% of the immune system function is controlled by what goes on in the intestinal tract. I mean, most of the immune cells, your white cells, uh, the ones that control the fighting off bacterial infections are, are, are getting their marching orders from uh, what's coming through the gut mucosa into the, the immune system. It's, it's part of the lymph nodes that are real close to the digestive tract. So uh, <clears throat> we're finding that uh, in addition to a complete nutrition program, that that some of the newer products that are coming out, uh, I I put them put them all under the label of what I call nutraceuticals. So they're nutritional in some form, but they're they're coming from as natural plant extracts or, or they're naturally available, which you know flies in the face of what some pharmaceutical companies would have developed over the years and sell you as antibiotics. But we're finding that a, a lot of natural extracts, whether it be uh, essential oils or probiotics, which are good bacteria or prebiotics, which are the good fiber that feed the good bacteria, um, even some of the colostral extracts. Uh, we're finding that there are uses for those products that can help even further supplement what good nutrition does and, and support uh, a, a much stronger and more robust immune system for animals to be able to stay healthy. And so MFA has, has developed a uh, several components that they use in various forms under the overall title of shield products that uh, are it have been incorporated either in different feeds or supplements or have become standalone products like our shield liquid technology, which can be added to, to water on incoming groups of calves. It can be an appetite stimulant and also uh, somewhat of a support to the immune system or our, our shield plus product used on newborn livestock or, or young stock that uh, 
or ex- experiencing disease or health problems or in advance of, uh, of potential health problems, trying to handle stressful situations uh, where we give them individual doses of it orally, either as a paste or a liquid. So we are, as a company, our nutritionist part of it, are, are actively looking at those particular nutraceutical components or supplemental components over what normal nutrients are that might provide an additional benefit to, to health and performance of the livestock we're feeding. Right. No, that's that's awesome. Something to something to think about when when you're kind of planning out, um, you know how how you're getting nutrition into that herd. So, which leads me back to you, Brittany. How are how are you kind of taking some of those products um, and and some of the thought processes that that Doc threw out there um, and, and and placing those products kind of back on a producer's farm as as you're looking at at planning. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's you know several different ways. As he mentioned, there's lots of different forms of the product. Um, I'd say our most, most common one is through, um, through free choice minerals. So we use, um, the, the shield technology in our ricochet mineral, um, on multiple cow herds across, across the Northeast territory up here. Um, which overall, you know, we see it improves cow health, which in turn improves our calf health. Um, and you know, they're, their feasibility when they go to weaning time, um, their, you know, response to vaccine and, and all that, we see that that greatly helps. Um, we use a lot of the shield, um, the shield plus um, on uh, maybe guys that are having stalkers that are, you know, some incoming calves. Um, if they're specifically treating one um, for something as it's incoming, we're, we're implementing that in there to reintroduce those good um, gut bugs to that calf system um, and get him, you know, probably he's probably off feed a little bit or something. So get him back rolling. Um, also using that product a lot on um, newborn calves. So any guys, um, Northeast Missouri, we have lots of <clears throat> patchy spots where we have scour issues, um, you know, farms that are, have, are known to have scour issues. And so that product really seems to help us um, in that scenario, um, it's more of a natural approach to combating that, um, supporting the gut health of the calf and um, not using as, you know, having to have the antibiotics on hand for that. But it's just a big, you know, it's a, having a plan ahead of time and um, helping the producer have the right products on hand to use if the need arises. Right, right. I feel like with <clears throat> kind of today's market conditions um, brings brings all these preventative things uh, I feel like it elevates all of them, right? Sure. I mean, it's there's a lot of money to be lost uh, in the in the. I mean, the the higher the market, the more money there is to be lost, right? Yeah. And that that crosses from uh, from the agronomy world to the to the livestock world. Um, you, your risk is higher, right? The, exactly. the more value that animal has. Exactly. Yeah, they're pretty valuable right now. Yeah, absolutely. Every pound on them is is extremely valuable. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than those, other than those things, we kind of talked through some of the, you know, the the herd handling aspects, um, and and then down to the nu- nutrition side, and and kind of um, you know, how we get some of those prebiotics and, and things like that. So some of that shield in there, uh, those are all great things. I, I think to improve overall herd health. What else can it? Is there anything else that producer can do uh, to kind of improve the overall health of their herd, somewhat decrease the the need for for antibiotic use? Yeah. Well. In my mind, one thing that comes to mind, I don't think we probably focus as much on is uh, is basically start thinking about the health of, and if we want to talk about cattle in particular, because that's our, our primary uh, livestock species that we deal most with through MFA, um, 
we got to get producers thinking in terms of planning for the next calf crop and setting up for that calf crop to be the healthiest skin. We need to be concentrating on that calf's mom <clears throat> as she's being bred and during the entire pregnancy process. Um, that would get us into the topic of uh, uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, well, look, my mind has got a bubble. What's the term we use for that? Where we're trying to get the health of the calf established. Uh, fetal program. Fetal program. That's what I'm thinking go. of yep. because there are <laughs> things about health and the pr production and performance of, of calves that are determined while they're still developing in utero. So if we can get producers thinking even ahead of that calf crop being born and how they treat mom and what goes on there, we can set ourselves up for a, a calf crop that maybe has responds better to the nutrition and the management program we, we raise them under and, and basically responds better and stays healthier and maybe has less of a need for antibiotics. Sorry for the brain bubble, but I'll blame no, the old age. But uh, No, but, that's, uh, that's it's a great thought process. It's a different in, in focus. It to be similar on the agronomy side of, of trying to do your your, your pre-planning decision, deciding what you're going to do in terms of laying down fertilizer ahead of you and working the ground or putting crop in the ground. Correct. You try to get things the stage set for that crop to stay as healthy as it can. We need to get producers thinking way back when and get the stage set to get that as yet un, un, unconceived calf crop ready to be, perform well when it gets gets there. I don't think it's wrong to think that way. No, getting them in the mindset of taking care of the factory and not just the product exactly. that it produces. That's probably a better way to put it. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, that can, you get you, get a good factory set up and your product's going to be very, very similar and as it comes out every time and, you know, then therefore selecting heifers out of that herd to keep back and it, it all is just going to yeah. line up. And that applies to every species. I mean, sure. I can think in, in my veterinary career, I apply the same thing where I'm talking about pork production or even our small ruminants and the sheep and the goats. Uh, I'm sure it has some application to poultry world too, although we don't do a lot of poultry, but uh, shoot the amount of rabbits that uh, MFA feeds. I've seen that in some of the rabbitries I've been in Southern Missouri. So it's, yeah. it all applies. Uh, it's, it's thinking about the entire production system and trying to, to, put a, the positive things in there as early as you can in the production process uh, uh, really helps all the way through and, and minimizes the need for, for antibiotics. That's that's a big hope for it and gets you good productivity out the other end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what else on the, on that side of things as, as far as covering some of the new antibiotic regs um, kind of, I feel like we, we got through pretty well what uh what's kind of on the table for the produce from the producer aspect um, kind of now and, and into the future. Um, is there any of that, that, that we didn't get covered that you guys um, wanted to go into or, or other animal health or things that you guys are seeing out on the landscape right now? Well, related to that regulation, one other thing I'd, I'd say, and it's, it's getting a little bit late in the game. They should have been doing it earlier, but it's still never too late to do it. I'd, I'd encourage producers if they've been making use of some of these and making their own decisions on using these over the counter antibiotics that, Take some mental inventory about what products they have been using, what's been their their purpose and reason for using them, and, and make a list of that and use that as part of your conversation piece with whatever veterinarian that you have a relationship with or are going to build a relationship with and, and talk through that list so that veterinarian knows what you've been using, why you've been using it, and about how you've been using it and can maybe kind of preload the, the relationship with uh, with the information that's going to be needed to write that script and, and ease the, the acquisition under these new regulations that we come out. So 
And it also becomes a conversation point to maybe for producers to learn in some cases where they've been making their own decisions about which antibiotic to use and how they're using it. Maybe those decisions haven't been 100% correct. So there's an opportunity to learn something about using the antibiotics with a little bit different approach or maybe not having to use them at all. So there are some things to learn in the conversation. But as Brittany mentioned earlier, the producers who already have a relationship with a veterinarian, uh, it, it shouldn't miss much of a beat. You still ought to have that same conversation with that same list. But for our producers, several of them out there who really don't have a relationship with a veterinarian and in some areas of the state, sad but true, they're the access to a food animal or a rural veterinarian to, to provide that service is not there. It's going to be more of a struggle for them, but they need to still have that same list and be looking for a veterinarian to, to have that conversation with. And, and one thing I've encouraged those producers is uh, think about even our small communities. A lot of them have small animal practitioners. They may not be doing food animal calls, but it doesn't have to be a food animal veterinarian that writes that script for you. If you've got a good relationship with even your small animal veterinarian in town, if they, they have the same training that a food animal veterinarian did in terms of livestock diseases, uh, right. as long as you can establish that veterinary client-patient relationship with a licensed veterinarian, there's an avenue there that potentially can uh, get you the script you need once the over-the-counter label product is all gone and script is the only method to get it. Sure, sure. No, that's those are great thoughts. Um, Brittany, anything to add there? Or, or what are you thinking about as you're going to the farm here recently? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I, I feel like producers are, um, feel like this is just, you know, a big roadblock and, and we just want them to know that we're, you know, we're here to, to help them make those informed decisions, um, whether it be, you know, us through their feed nutrition or, or your veterinarian um, on an antibiotic side and e even a, a vaccination side, or we can make recommendations for vaccine um, through MFA. But, you know, we're just here to help you. We don't um, want them to feel like um, that it's it's a huge roadblock and it's, you know, going to make big changes to their operation. Um, we want them to still be successful. And um, I feel like any veterinarian out there would, would also tell their producers that, you know, nutrition is a big big part of the health of that animal and, and would um, encourage them to, to have a good relationship with someone on the nutrition side as well. So yeah. just, you know, helping our producers feel like that we're not just leaving them out there with, you know, not being able to sell them antibiotics that we're still here to be able to help them make those informed decisions and, and find the right connections. Yep. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's a matter of using, you know, kind of using the plethora of your local resources for, for sure. sure. Um, I, I definitely am looking at two of them in the room today. And, um, and like I said, you mentioned the importance of having that good, you know, client veterinarian relationship. Um, One other thing I'd add to that is that I get to thinking that um, <clears throat> producers have additional questions and they see this, this other piece of regulation that's coming on now, which is what they dealt with in 2017, and the question comes, well, what's next? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, in my mind and from what I can glean from talking with the Center for Veterinary Medicine representatives there, which is a sub subcomponent of the FDA, it's there's nothing else on their target list. Vaccines are not going to be taken away from us. Um, uh, they're not looking at products like a Rumensin or a Decox, uh, uh, those kind of Basically, they are feed additive antimicrobials, but they are not on that medically important list. And by medically important, maybe I should have defined that early on, Adam. I didn't do that, but when I use that term, quote unquote, uh, that's a set of antibiotics that they can deem to be medically important for potential use in human medicine. 
Okay. Uh, that's where that term came from. And, and so when you looked at those, it was natural to look at penicillin and tetracycline because those are probably two of the first antibiotics that were developed for use in, in human medicine. Not that I know very many physicians who are using those now in, 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 in the human world, but those, there are a lot of antimicrobials that are beneficial and useful in livestock production that are not going to be affected by this law and they're not on target because they're not available or even have any use in the human world. So uh, we will still be able to provide those and, and, and help our producers make appropriate use of them. Uh, the, the ruminants and the bovitex of the world in, in terms of better making better use of the feed we're putting into them, uh, the, the parasitic control products that we have, whether it be dewormers or anticoccidials, um, and our external parasite products, uh, unless EPA wants to start getting involved in some of those, uh, we should still be able to, to help our producers make the proper product choice and, and put the proper protocol together on when and where to use those products to, uh, to still control some of those other things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you adding that. It's nice to know that maybe something else isn't on the radar because you're exactly right. That's where your mind goes with, with, well, any regulation, um, <laughs> yeah. not necessarily specific to the animal health world, but, but for sure with these, right. It's always right. what's next. Right. So anything else you guys want to add? I feel like we covered it pretty well and you guys, um, gave out some pretty great advice today. Well, it's been a good conversation. I appreciate yeah. you yeah. putting it all together. It's, uh, um, that's part of what we try and do with MFA. We, we do it with individual conversations. Brittany has more of them than what I do, but, uh, uh, trying to keep track of what's going on within the industry. And as you said early on in your introductions, Adam, uh, uh, trying to figure, keep track of what's going on regulatory-wise of what the effect's going to be and, and give our producers as much advance notice as we can and, and our entire production system. It's, uh, it's as big an aggravation for us in terms of being a, a product supplier as it is for the producers who are now having to worry about how they're going to get those products. Uh, yeah. uh, it's It's not pleasant for us to have to deal with. We'd like to still be an integral part of it. And I feel like we can be going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both of you, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be here this morning, Dr. Martin. Well, Brittany, thank, thank you, you very much. Um, appreciate both of your all's time. Uh, hopefully got, I know we got some great information out there and appreciate the time of anyone listening. We'll talk to you next episode. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.